and welcome to another episode of ABC Gotham, uh, New York's amateur history podcast. My name is Kate, and with me as always is Kathleen. Hello, everyone. And we're on our season two, and we're up to the fourth letter of the alphabet for the second time, the letter D. What do we have this time, Kathleen? Oh, listeners, you tuned in for the right show because we are going to tell you the exciting tales of Daring Do in New York City history. Yeah, daredevils galore. Daredevils doing daring things. Um, all dudes. You know, I looked, didn't find too many female daredevils, I'm, I'm uh, sad to say. So we're only able to represent half of what I'm sure were all the magnificent daredevils in the city, but... I hope you will bear with us. Yeah, it's a pretty male-heavy episode tonight. But just think we did give Nellie Bly an entire episode, and she's she's a pretty pretty good daredevil in her own right. You are absolutely right. She has so much daring do, she got her own episode. You're right. Yeah. What I found to be one of the first recorded so-called daredevils in the city is a man named Frederick Law. And he was the first parachutist in the city. It's kind of when... I guess that took off. He actually, Kathleen, are you ready? He jumped from the top of the Statue of Liberty torch on in February of 1912. What? Yeah, I don't know who was like, yes, this needs to be done. Right, or who was like, yes, right this way, sir, with that strangely large backpack you're wearing. Well, I will say, before I get into all the details, he did get permission from the army captain administering the island. Oh, Wow. Okay. So he's actually one of the daredevils that I looked up that actually got the okay. Actually, he's the only one that I researched that got the okay to do this. I, I think you're right. I that, That's that been sort of a, a consistent theme in all these people is the cops who are like, are you kidding me? And, you know, I got to spend resources to either go out there and try to rescue this guy or catch this guy or... You know, they all get arrested, but this guy actually asked ahead of time. Wow, that's class. He had another idea that he wasn't going to ask for permission, but then when it came to something big like this where he'd have to get out to the island, yeah. he, he definitely got he got permission. That is so funny. I love that. So our Frederick Law is, was actually listed in the phone book as an aerial con- contractor. Really? He was what was known as a steeplejack. He scaled buildings, chimneys, and church steeples to carry out maintenance. So oh. he was a guy you'd call to do this. This was his, like, professional job. See, I saw a steeplejack in my the course of my research, and I didn't know what that was, but I didn't care enough to look it up. So oh, well, now you know. Now I know. Thank you. Thank you. A guy who goes up on top of steeples on purpose to fix things. That makes a exactly. lot of sense, actually. Uh, he loved it up high. He was the first man to paint the flagpoles of the Pulitzer and Singer buildings. Nice. And it's just his life was spent way up there. And he had an idea to, while he was up there painting, to parachute from the top of the Singer building. But he thought it was impractical because of he didn't want to impede traffic, which is so nice of him. He could have just jumped, and then but he was worried that traffic was just going to go nuts seeing this guy fall, and it just didn't seem uh, like a smart idea. That's actually a really good point, and I'm impressed that he thought of it, and it actually comes up later. Uh, but that that exact concern will I'll bring that up later. All right. So he's like, he is definitely the most, 
I don't know, conscientious yeah. uh, of our daredevils. He's he's a nice guy. He's actually worried about the city. Um, he At the time that he parachuted from the top of the Statue of Liberty, he was 35 years old, and a movie company, which, if anybody knows who this is, I found the old New York Times article from 1912, and it said that a movie uh, company paid him to paid him for the jump so that they could film it, uh, which paid him $1,500, which is a lot of money at the time. Wow. Wow. And which makes him the first movie stuntman in history. That's amazing. Right here in our little tiny village, huh? I know. He did several other jumps, including jumping off of the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, He scaled the McAlpine Hotel. He also, he's the first person who got coined human fly or human spider ah. uh, when in 1909 he climbed the Flatiron Building without ropes. Oh. Yeah, pretty amazing. Wow. Uh, the New York Times says during his jump that he fell a full 75 feet like a dead weight, uh. the parachute showing no indication whatsoever of opening at first. Uh. However, it did open. <laughs> Uh, he descended gratefully, but he landed hard and limped away to oh. tell the tale. So he jumped down onto the land of the island, not onto the island, into exactly. the water. Not into the water. Okay, not into the water. But I mean, a, a you know a stiff wind, and that's where he could have gone. Absolutely, yeah. And then you're then you got a big problem. Yeah, but I mean, he had the okay. I'm sure there were boats out there prepared for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So pretty. Pretty amazing. That's really I, he's amazing. My fa- I think he's my favorite Daredevil just because... Because he asked for permission. <laughs> he asked for permission. I can't believe they let him do that. Were we just not that litigious back then? Or the police chief was like, I could use the publicity? Like, how? what was? What were they thinking when they said, yes, go ahead? I think maybe part of it could have been the movie studio behind him that's paying all, sure. all this money to do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That could be it, yeah. yeah. It was bigger than just some guy jumping. Yeah, that could be it. So Kathleen, who do you have for us today? Well, let's see. Uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is a guy named Alvin Shipwreck Kelly. His nickname is Shipwreck. Uh, he nice. was a pole sitter. So this was the thing. Apparently, you would sit on a pole. Uh, and he is actually credited with popularizing this fad of sitting atop a flagpole. He, uh, he first did is this. Is it like planking? The planking of the early 20th century? I don't know what planking is. What is that? No, you you missed that craze a few years, a year ago, or whatever. <laughs> I think I did. What okay. What is it? It's where you lay totally flat on stuff. And and you videotape it in YouTube. It's, check it out. Oh, okay. Planking. Wow. Yeah, that that sounds almost like a parody of pole sitting. It's, it's, it, yeah. It okay. Is. Uh, so pole sitting. So, yes. So, uh, he, the first time he did this was in 1924. They're not sure why. It was either in response to a dare from a friend or it was a publicity stunt. He did this in Philadelphia in front of a department store. And he was possibly drawing customers to, to see that man sitting on the pole and, oh, let's get some shopping done while we're at it. So not all of his performances were in New York. In 1926, he set a record by sitting on a flagpole for um, uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, for seven days and one hour. And then in June, the next year, 27, 1927, he wanted to beat that record. He wanted to sit on uh, a pole for eight 
days in Newark, Newark, New Jersey. He was actually up there for 12 days. So he beat his own record. Mm -hmm. Uh, His New York stunt, this was October 13th, 1939. He celebrated, there's a funny picture. Uh, Check out the, the Facebook page. You can see this picture. He celebrated National Donut Dunking Week. Did you know we even had one of those? We do. I know there's a National Donut Day, but I don't know about Dunking Donuts. Donut Dunking Week. Um, he celebrated it by sitting on a pole on top of the Channon Building, C-H-A-N-I-N. This is on East 42nd Street in Manhattan. And eating 13 donuts dunked into a coffee cup and fed to him while he stood on his head. Ooh, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, I, I, whenever I have hiccups, I, I drink water upside down and it gets rid of my hiccups. And it's hard to drink water upside down. And it goes up your nose, doesn't it? No, I have a special way to do it. <laughs> okay, that's great. You've yeah. Never seen, you've never seen me do this? Yeah, I drink water upside down when I have hiccups. Wow. And that's hard, which mm-hmm. is what helps get rid of the hiccups. I can't imagine eating donuts upside down. 13 of them. I can't imagine eating 13 donuts. I don't care how, how yeah, I mean, delicious yeah. they are. I don't care what they've been dunked into. I can't imagine eating that many. I can't imagine doing it upside down. And I can't imagine doing it sitting on top of a pole on top mm. of a skyscraper. It's ridiculous. So this guy... Don- donut holes I could. What's that? Donut holes. I could do that. Yeah, donut holes, no problem. Piece of cake. Upside down. So that was Alvin Shipwreck Kelly. Uh, another very, very cool guy. Although I'm not 100% sure if this guy is real, and I'll tell you why. Wait a minute. Can we go back to Shipwreck? Why is his nickname Shipwreck? <laughs> um, he says it's because he was also a boxer, but he would do this thing, I guess, that some less skilled boxers do, where when they're in the ring, they sort of run around okay. the ring. Like they run away from the guy instead of actually fighting the guy. And okay. that's... And that means he's, like, sailing, something like that. Oh, he's sailing around the ring. He's sailing like a ship. He's getting away from the other boxer. So they called him Shipwreck because he could be counted on to sail around the ring when he was a boxer. Okay. All right. All right. All right. But Shipwreck, that's a good nickname. I like that. Yeah. I I don't know about that. But so your next guy, we're not sure if he really existed. That's it. So his name is Sig Smith. Oh, yeah. That's fake. A professional daredevil. So... Modern Mechanics <clears throat> magazine, there's this really funny, old-fashioned-y sounding article from January 1931, which, of course, would sound old-fashioned because it is old-fashioned. Uh, and they wrote uh, an issue of the magazine that fe- featured daredevils and stuntmen and others with like risky, unusual jobs, their, their work. So this, Sig Smith, who they reported on, who I couldn't find anywhere else like i tried to find more information on him and he doesn't show up which is why i might i'm not too sure if this guy was real but presumably what he did is he got up to the top of the statue of liberty liberty again blindfolded with his eyes bandaged against the possibility of seeing a thing he walked around the prongs of the crown okay i don't know if i believe that and he did that with all the carelessness of a child skipping rope this is what this is what it says. Now, I would love to see something like that. Uh, I I saw nothing at all. 
any other source on that. So yeah, if any if any ABC Gothamites out there have heard of Fig Smith, I'm I'm kind of doubting that yeah. he exists. But yeah. you know, who knows? And there's no Maybe. photo of it, but there is a, a drawing, a lovely drawing, which you can see on the Facebook page. Yeah, it's it's I, I would love if it happened. I really can't tell you for sure if he did. But here is one who definitely happened. This is a man named Joseph Spa, S-P-A-H, but there's an umlaut over the A. Uh, his stage name was... Are you ready to hear his stage name? Is it better than Shipwreck? No. His, okay. spade, his stage name was Ben Dova. Oh, no, really? Yeah. That's like middle school. <laughs> You're right. Like a third grader thought that up. <laughs> so Ben Dova, also known as Joseph Spa, uh, he came to the United States as a young man. He had an interest in vaudeville and acrobatics, and he eventually became very well known for this. His his signature act, his his gimmick was like a wacky drunk guy. Okay. A silly, wacky, floppy, staggery, drunk guy. In 1933, he brought this uh, quirky drunkard act to the city skyscrapers, where he staggered about on top of, once again, the 56-story Channon building. C-H-A-N-I-N. I never heard of this building until we started doing research on daredevils, and apparently daredevils love going up there and doing things high above the city. So, I, I mean, I believe it is still in existence. People work there now at the Shannon building. Um, it might even be the Shanin building. I have no idea. Which is uh, located at 122 East 42nd Street. If you live or work there, congratulations. You are at Daredevil Central of the planet. So I mean, he would a, go... It's a nice building. What's that? It's a nice looking building. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fine. I wonder why they picked that one as opposed to other ones. But Whatever, 56 stories, very high in the air. Um, and he would go up there and just sort of, uh, there's a really great uh, video clip, which we will post the link to on this page, of Joseph Spa, a.k.a. Bendova, doing his wacky thing. And it really is, you, you watch it and you're like, oh my God, what is he doing? And he's just staggering around right at the edge of the building. Oh. At a couple points, he like all, basically falls over but catches himself with one arm. He has a neat uh, gimmick where he is on top of a, like on top of a, a lamppost that is leaning around, and he's like on the top of it and just trying to hang on. Um, so it's very, very cool, very cool video. Uh, and according to lore, the audiences were so terrified for Dova's safety they were fainting at the sight of the newsreel. Ooh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, this is now, really interesting. Now, did he get permission to do that? I doubt it. But I don't know. There is a there is a video of it, a fairly high-quality video. So, he must have had a whole team up there um, making this happen. So, I mean, it's possible that he, that he did. Um, here's what's really interesting. Four years after this video, he was on the Hindenburg... Ooh, when it crashed. And he survived. Wow. You know, a lot of people actually survived that. I, I actually didn't know that. I assumed everyone died. But yeah, there's the story is he was leaning out of one of the forwardmost windows, and he was taking movies of the landing. You know, the, the this is in New Jersey. 
the crew, they were like, you know, throwing ropes down and he was leaning out a window and filming it. He had just aimed his camera at Lakehurst, New Jersey, the massive Zeppelin hangar, when the hangar started reflecting an orange glow. Mm-hmm. So it quickly became obvious that the Hindenburg had suddenly and inexplicably caught on fire. The whole ship tilted about 45 degrees down by the tail, and Joseph Spa, or Bendova, managed to hold onto a rail while most of the other passengers like went sliding you know, down the floor right. to the back wall, the observation deck. Once the ship began to descend and level out... He hung out of that nearby window that he had been filming out of, and he let go when he was about 20 feet from the ground. So 20 wow. feet is it's high, but it, it you know not necessarily deadly. So that was actually really smart timing on his part. Um, he he dropped down 20 feet. His acrobat's instincts kicked in, and he tried to do a safety roll, a tuck and roll when he landed. Um, but even though he did that, he injured his ankle regardless. But he survived. He survived the Hindenburg. I thought everyone died. No, uh, actually, because uh, there were there were about ni- almost 100 people on board. Uh-huh. And, I mean, it's still really sad. But, like, 35 people from the ship survived, uh, died. And... Uh, so most of the people survived. So a third of the people died. Yes, okay. that's very sad. Oh, okay. But a majority of the people did did survive. And did they fall out or did it just kind of sort of crash land and they got away from the fire? You don't know. You know, I, I think <laughs> I think a lot of people were like him that were like jumping out. Yeah, yeah. But then I think some people, uh, some people like right before it hit were able to get out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. I, you know, I, I actually have no idea how, okay. yeah, how yeah. people survived. But I thought that was a really interesting interesting uh, footnote to a daredevil's life. Um, and then he and then he died of old age, you know, living in the United States. It's amazing. He just, he injured his ankle in the Hindenburg. That is all he did. So that wraps things up for the 20s and 30s. And Kate will take us now to probably New York's most famous daredevil. Right. Uh, Philippe Petit. Yeah. Um, I'm sure many of you have seen the movie Man Man on Wire. So good. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's really good. Yeah, I think you can watch it like on instant Netflix. Oh, yeah? Okay. I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh totally worth a watch he if you haven't uh if you have seen it i'm sorry i'm going over most of the stuff you saw in the movie (laughs) if you haven't it's it's you know here you go he was a french high wire artist uh he actually was self-taught and worked on the streets in uh, france perfecting his craft Mm -hmm. and then he moves to new york i'm just kind of giving you his whole bio sorry because he's he's just so cool yeah, he moves to New York and starts... He never actually wanted to join a circus. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really loves working on his own. Uh, he So he moves to New York, and on the street he juggles and works a slack rope, which is, instead of it being a really rigid line, like what he set up um, for his Daredevil stunt, uh, it's still under tension, but it's just not as rigid. It's got a little uh, more give to it. It bounces. Exactly. Okay. And he should set this up in Washington Square Park. Very cool. Oh, wow. So he's actually at a doctor. He, he said that he was at a, I think a dentist office in Paris, 
before the Twin Towers were constructed, and he actually comes up with this idea, like, in the dentist office. I imagine him, like, in the chair getting a cavity or something and like, <laughs> coming up with this idea. He's probably flipping through a magazine. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of planning that goes into this. Six years of planning mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in which he's got – he does, like, the math. He takes – so, of course, I haven't said it yet, but his stunt is he – ran a wire between the former Twin Towers, the World Trade Center, and walked between the two buildings. Uh, amazing. And there's that great photo that, that you can see right here. It's 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 just hilarious to, to see him doing this, he, and he's just perfectly at ease in that picture, you know? It's amazing. And mm-hmm. if, you, if you never got a chance to go up to the observation deck in the World trade i was kind of terrified to be up there it was really, really high yeah well, yeah <laughs> that's the point <laughs> and yeah it did sway a little bit so i, I just it's amazing we're talking about 1368 feet up in the air obviously with no net uh he the the towers did sway a bit in the yeah. wind when yeah. you got that high up mm-hmm. and he actually took into the account how much the tower sway were going to sway. It was still being built when yeah. he was planning this. It mm-hmm. was not, it was not complete. Mm-hmm. But the plans were all there. You know, people were publishing how tall they'd be, what the materials would be and how, yeah, like their skyscrapers right. have to sway a little bit in the wind. So he was able to get that information bef- to, to do his calculations. And, well, he also had to figure out how to rig the steel cable across this 200-foot gap. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You can't just throw it. Yeah, you can't just, and this, this as I'll get into it, this, um, this cable weighs 450 pounds. You can't just toss a 450-pound cable across 200 feet. It's not going to work, so we'll get into that. He had a lovely friend, which I wish I had a friend like this, who gave him financial support. His name was nice. Francis Brunn. And a lot of the stuff that I'm telling you about now was footed by his friend. So he actually went up in a helicopter and to take photos while the World Trade Center was being built. Wow. Which you could do then, which you could never do now. Uh-uh. Uh, he snuck into the tower several times mm-hmm. to get a sense of the security. <laughs> he made scale models to design the rigging. He made fake IDs for himself and the people who were helping him to gain access, pretending they were uh, contractors installing an electric fence. Oh, my God. He looked at all the clothing of the office workers coming and going. (laughs) Yeah, and to uh, monitor when they're coming and going. So he's, he's got a schedule down. Then, as the date gets closer, he pretends to be a French reporter... By the way, when he does the fake IDs, when he's pretending they're contractors, yeah, that's uh, so they can get on the roof. That's that's his first chance to get up on the roof. So when he pretends to be a French reporter to get more roof observations, he says he's from a French architecture magazine and he wants to interview workers on the roof. And that's how he gets up there again. And they're like, "Oh, right this way, sir." I know. Well, I just imagine it's a more innocent time. Yes, yes, it certainly was, yeah. So, the night of Tuesday, August 6th, 1974, he and his 
his the people who were helping him took a freight elevator with the equipment stored in it. They were able to store it about 19 feet from the roof. So they take it up, store it, hide, and then they go up on the roof. They use, well, uh, obviously his other people have to go on the other side. Yes. So they use a bow and arrow to, with fishing line, to get it to the other tower. Because it had to be very, very light, but also they had to get it all the way across. A bow and arrow. How many tries did that take, do you think? I'm hoping they got it in one. (laughs) Yeah. I don't don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, They... The funny thing is, one of the people on the roof was supposed to be filming this whole thing, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you why he didn't film. So, they pass larger and larger ropes across mm-hmm. the 200-foot gap. I imagine, like, finally... fishing line, thread, string, yeah, twine. Yeah. They just keep, and I love that they just keep going and nobody stops them. Because uh-huh. it, took, it took a while. Well, wasn't this at night, though? Yeah, this okay. is very, very early in the morning. Okay. Like, we're talking three. That's really, so really early. Yeah, yeah. So, they keep going this way until they can pass the 450-pound seal cable across. Um, and it's probably like a heavy-duty chain at this point or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> they... There are two anchor port anchor points on each side to stabilize and minimize swaying. Now, this is where the guy was supposed to um, be filming this, but because his arms were so tired from oh. yeah from doing this uh-huh. and holding the this huge cable to tighten it, he his arms were too it. tired to film. Oh, sad, right? Yeah. So, on the next morning, Wednesday, August 11th, at 7.15 in the morning, Petit steps off the south tower onto this, uh, I think it's about uh, three quarters of an inch thick, uh, steel cable. He walks the wire for a full 45 minutes, including eight crossings. He just goes Uh, back and forth and back and forth. He just goes back and forth. Um... It's a quarter of a mile above the streets of Manhattan below. He not only walks, but he sits on the wire, gave knee salutes, spoke with a gull that flew around his head. (laughs) Police officers, of course, finally show up and try to get him off. And as soon as he sees the cops... He's he's headed to an end, right? And he sees the cops, and he turns around and goes right back to and the he middle. Goes goes right back, and like, come on out and get me. <laughs> yeah, what are you gonna do? Uh, and the cop who comes by says it wasn't that he was walking; it was more that he was dancing. Yes, and his like feet would like leave the wire as he jumped up in the air. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, part of his preparation had been walking. You know that exact wire. That exact length, he, he right. set it all up back home in France. He would walk it, and his friends would, like, shake the wire so he could practice walking if it was very, very windy. I mean, by the time he, he got there, the walking on the wire, that was the easy part. The logistics right. was the hard part. It was setting it up, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's on the wire, and a f- his friend who's sitting on the South Tower warrants warns him when he walks back by mm. that a helicopter is going to pick him off of the wire oh, boy. if he doesn't stop, which is really dangerous. Yeah, yeah. 
And plus, it's starting to rain now. <laughs> and it feels like, I've pushed this enough. Yeah. I've pushed this enough. So, he, he decides to give himself up. Mm-hmm. Now, and he says the most dangerous part of the entire event was after he came down off the wire. Mm-hmm. These cops were not very happy with him, mm. and they handcuffed him, and they pushed him down a flight of stairs. <laughs> that was the dangerous And he part. says that's the most dangerous part of the entire... That was the time where he was actually risking an injury. Right, right. Wow. Because of the news coverage, people loved this. Oh, it's people loved huge. It. Yeah, yeah. So all of the charges were dropped <laughs> in exchange... For him doing a free juggling show for kids in Central Park. Nice. But, of course, he doesn't do a juggling act. He turns it into a higher-wire walk in the park over Belvedere Lake, which is now Turtle Pond. Oh, my gosh. Right. So, and the cool thing about this, of course, this, he never got permission. Don't do this. Uh, the cool thing about this is that the Twin Towers at the time were... Mm. People hated them. Yeah. They thought they were ugly. They thought they were utilitarian. Nobody nobody liked them. People were very sad that they were built. But it actually, him doing this actually brought attention and affection yes. to the buildings. Mm-hmm. People suddenly liked them. It humanized them as part it. Of yeah. The exactly. Yeah. And um, Petit was actually given a lifetime pass to the observation deck. Nice. And he actually had signed a beam on, I think, on the south South Tower. That's awesome. From where he, after he he came off. That was a great trick. That was awesome. I, it's my, yeah, I, it's it's good. And I it's love that good. it took years. And he was like, "This is gonna happen. This is this." That was his job, preparing for years. I love that he's sitting in a dentist office, mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah this yeah. is what I'm gonna do. It's it's. Hilarious. I love it. I love it. Yes. Speaking of the World Trade Center, I also have a report on the first person to successfully parachute off or base jump off of the World Trade Center. Yes. So a quick side note, side note, base jumping is something that came up a lot in the research, at least in my research. Uh, it is actually an acronym, B-A-S-E. The activity is... Jumping from a fixed object and using a parachute to break your fall. So BASE stands for the four categories of fixed objects from which one can jump. So B for buildings, A for antennas, S for spans, because bridges Bridges. wouldn't have made a cute-sounding acronym. They could have done BABE jumping. Ah, what the heck? I like BASE jumping better. And E is earth, because they were jumping off cliffs basically. So buildings, antennas, spans, and earth is base jumping. And we are going to tell you about Owen Quinn. And Owen Quinn, this was July 22nd, 1975. So this is like a year and a half after Philippe Petit did his thing. Uh, July 22nd, Owen Quinn and his friend Mike Sergio, and we're going to hear more about Mike Sergio in a minute, um, got into the World Trade Center. Quinn had disguised himself as a construction worker and he hid his parachute in a duffel bag covered with tools. And he made his way up to the North Tower. They were met by the security guard, obviously. And while Sergio, Mike Sergio, distracted the security guard, 
Owen Quinn continued toward the roof and got into his parachute. So Quinn says he stepped back about 15 feet and ran fast right to the end. Uh. Oh, my God. Sergio shot a picture and called it the point of no return. I have not yet looked for this picture. If I find it, you will see it on Facebook. When Owen Quinn landed, he was arrested by the Port Authority police and taken for psychiatric exams at two different hospitals. He was taken to Elmhurst and to St. Vincent. When it was concluded that he was in fact sane, he was booked and charged with trespassing, disorderly conduct, and reckless endangerment. Within the course of a year, Quinn made 19 appearances in court, but the case was eventually dropped. Then in 1978, three years later, Quinn appeared on the game show to tell the truth. So this was a guy jumping down with a parachute who did not ask permission in case, in fact, he ran right past the security guard. Isn't that a stupid thing to do? I mean, you're in the middle of a city. Where are you going to land? What's going to happen down there? You don't know, right? Yeah, what if you hit somebody on the way down? By the way, I I do have a a picture of his jump, and it's it's terrifying looking. I cannot wait to see it. Awesome, awesome. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, that's cool and scary and admirable on some level, but Come on, man. You know? Don't be a jerk. Um, That's the moral of this story. Don't be a jerk. Yeah, really, that's our advice to you, our listeners. And, and, you know, we have pretty cool people listening to us, so I understand that probably most of them know this already. But overall, I would say, don't be a jerk. Um, The next item I have happened in 1977, and this is George Willig, the human fly. So apparently a lot of people... There's a lot of... There's a lot of human fly, human. There's a lot of the Spider-Man. Uh, I read a few Birdman uh, people who we won't be discussing because I couldn't find too much good information. But yeah, the, the people who think of nicknames for these daredevils are really not that creative. Journalists, come on. Get on with it. George Willig is a mountain climber. He was from Queens. And he climbed the South Tower, uh, number two, World Trade Center. On May 26th, 1977. This was, oh, this was two and a half years after Philippe Petit walked between the, the two towers. So now at the time of the climb, the time that uh, George Willig did the climb, the second tower of the World Trade Center was the third tallest building in the world. The only things taller than that were, number one, World Trade Center and the Sears Tower or Willis Tower or Sears Tower. Um, it took Willig three and a half hours to scale the tower. He uh, had designed some equipment. So he had visited the towers a year before the stunt, and he took measurements for the equipment he would need. And he made these special clamps that fit into the window washing tracks of the South Tower. So the tower was designed for people to hang out on the outside. It was designed so people could wash the windows, and there were ways to lock in and do it securely. And he just figured out how that all worked. He designed these clamps. What would happen is they would lock into place when they were pulled down by his body weight. And then when he decided to raise them, they would release. So it was like his weight kept him secure on the building. So once he built the equipment, he went to the World Trade Center four or five times at night to test the equipment. And then it was a Thursday morning, uh, May 26th, and he started his climb at 6.30 a.m. 
Can't you do it on a Saturday when you're not going to be, like, interrupting No, because you've got to have the workers around. You remember that neighborhood on the weekends, right? right? It's dead. Yeah, I'm just thinking of safety. you got you got to brighten people's day. Imagine, imagine like, another bum day at work. What the heck? That's what he was doing. I guess, I guess. Yeah, I've got somebody else who kind of did that, too, but... I'm, I'm not down with it, but keep going. Uh, as he was climbing, two police officers, one of whom was a suicide expert, were lowered down to him in a window washing basket. And they were trying to get him to give up. They were hoping he could just climb into this basket. And he swung away from them so that they couldn't grab him. So, so they were just there next to him chatting as he climbed up the building. Um, and I mean, it's a kind of similar thing with Philly Petit. If the helicopter had tried to come and get him, that's more dangerous than what they're actually doing. Right, right. So he, <clears throat> and I'm really glad he was able to talk them into, uh, I'm not crazy. I'm not suicidal. You're not getting me in that bucket. Please just trust me on this. And apparently he convinced them of that. So Willig and the officers talked the whole way up. The suicide expert realized he knew what he was doing. He wasn't a threat. Uh, at one point, an officer passed him a pen and paper, and Willig autographed it, <laughs> and he signed it, Best wishes to my co-ascender. <laughs> yeah. So police helped him to the very top of the tower. They pulled him through a little window hatch, and that was at 10.05 a.m., where, of course, he was promptly arrested. Arrested. He said he could hear the crowd cheering from the ground level. Wow. So three and a half hours, he managed to climb up. I don't know if I could do you got to be in pretty good shape for that, you know? Like, even just climbing up a ladder for three hours, I don't know if I could do that. I don't think I could do it. Uh-uh. But I guess you train for it, you know? Yeah. Like anything. Yeah. I mean, if you're in reasonably good shape, it's probably not that big a deal. But So he was given three summons, and the NYPD filed a quarter of a million dollar lawsuit against him. Ah, for all the... Because they had to send out their people, you know, right. it wasn't cheap, whatever, what, you know, all the staff and, and things that they had to do it wasn't cheap. And I don't, I don't blame them. Um, what they were really afraid of is that there might be some kind of new adventures club fad. That's what they were worried about. I mean, this guy who climbed up safely and survived, eh, not a big deal, but they really did not want Philippe Petit leading to... This guy leading to more and more people trying shit like this because that because would be... then you're gonna have somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Exactly, exactly, and and it was, it was a, they wanted to discourage that, um, so he got all you know three summonses, this lawsuit, but eventually he was fined. Are you ready? Much a dollar and ten cents. Wow! Oh, it's a penny for every floor, right? A penny for each one of the world. <laughs> I do remember that, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, Willig's younger brother, Steve, was one of the few people who helped him get ready. And his brother told Sports Illustrated the Port Authority's cops were running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Not one of them knew what to do. And then this guy comes in and says, you're all under arrest. And they they had us all fill out stacks of forms. They fingerprinted us three times. Once for the city, once for the state, once for the FBI. Wow. Uh, Two other helpers were named Jerry and Ron. So after they handcuffed Jerry and Ron to a safe and Randy, another guy, and Steve were handcuffed to a chair, eventually they deduced that this guy Steve was George's brother. And they asked me, is George sane? 
is he doing this for political purposes? Is he going to wave a sign or something? Is he doing it for a commercial reason? He's just doing it. And his brother Steve is, I told them he was doing it for his own satisfaction. No other reason. He's just as sane as I was. And this confused them. It, it just, just doesn't make crazy. sense. Mm-hmm. So his climb received plenty of attention because it took three and a half hours to complete. And this is great because that allowed news cameras and spectators to gather. Now, the only problem he ran into, the only significant problem, was there were some irregularities in the window washing tracks. But he was prepared for this. He brought a small hammer. He fixed the irregularities. Wow. And then he continued to climb. So the window washers are like, thank God, finally somebody. Yeah, yes, we've been complaining about that to, to maintenance for years. <laughs> he fixed it. Wow. So he signed his name and he wrote the date on a piece of metal on the observation deck of the South Tower. That was still visible. Damn, everybody signed Until the tower was destroyed. Huh? Uh-huh, uh-huh. That, that would be something, good thing to have a, a picture of. Uh, the stunt paved the way for appearances on The Tonight Show, Good Morning America, Merv Griffin. He was on ABC's Wild World of Sports. He also got jobs as a stuntman on The Six Million Dollar Man, uh, a show called Trauma Center, and uh, Hollywood Beat. In 1979, two years later, he published a book called Going It Alone. And then during the 90s, he relocated. He lived in California, San Fernando Valley, He working as a remodeler of commercial buildings. See? That was, that was His it. whole yeah, career yeah. comes out of that mm-hmm. one daredevil stunt. That's it. That's it. And then after 9-11, someone went and, and interviewed him, um, destroyed both towers. Mr. Willig publicly said he regretted climbing the towers, as the tower, as his actions may have brought them to the attention of terrorists. But then later, he told CNN that was just an initial emotional reaction, and actually he was still glad to have climbed the building. Oh, my God, huh? That's amazing. Yeah, way to go. So my next thing is in the mid-80s. This is someone I mentioned a minute ago, Michael Sergio. So Michael Sergio was the one who was friends with uh, Owen Quinn, who was the first base jumper off the World Trade Center. And uh, Michael Sergio helped. You know, he was the one who distracted the guards so that Owen Quinn could jump off the World Trade Center. Michael Sergio did not jump off any buildings. Oh, no, no, no. He's an actor, but what he is most famous for is parachuting into Shea Stadium just before the start of Game 6 of the 1986 World Series between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Mets. He parachutes into the stadium, and he's wearing a sign that says, Let's go Mets. (laughs) Nice. The minute he lands, of course, he is immediately arrested. He pled guilty to charges of third-degree criminal trespassing. So his real problem was when he wouldn't give up the name of the pilot. Yeah. So he had to jump out of a plane, and whoever that pilot was, he or she violated a few aviation rules when when this person agreed to drop a, a skydiver from the sky, especially because it was so close to LaGuardia Airport. If you remember where old Shea Stadium was, that's all, you know, Queens. Well, the new Eastern one's Queens. right next to it, so... Yes, yes. Well, this is the old one. I don't know where it was, but it was close to LaGuardia Airport. Since Sergio would not name the pilot, he was held in contempt of court and jailed for three weeks. 
he his actual statement, this is hilarious. I'm just so glad I had my parachute on when I fell out of the bleachers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he protected the pilot, and he still has never released that name. Um, after his initial, after he was initially jumped into game six and was arrested and immediately brought to prison, he was able to watch the game. Um, he was very, very concerned that he'd be blamed if the Mets lost. And, and he had this whole thing like, I would have to move out of New York City. I would have to move to Canada. I don't like the cold. He was very, he had, he put a lot of thought into this apparently. Uh, but the Mets won. This is game six, the 1986 World Series. Apparently it was fairly spectacular. Um, so he didn't have to move out of New York City. And at one point, even Senator Al D'Amato intervened on his behalf <clears throat> and, uh, and was able to, to lessen one of his sentences. One thing that also helped is the judge that Sergio had to appear in front of was a Mets season ticket holder. Smart. That's very nice. And the judge says, I was there when it happened. I'm still trying to figure out where you came from. So Sergio was out almost immediately and able to watch game seven. And he said it was hilarious. He saw fans in the bleachers holding up signs that said things like, send in Sergio. (laughs) So that was his, that was his biggest famous thing. Uh, In all fairness, he does have an Emmy. He got a daytime Emmy for directing a Ringling Brothers 1996 TV circus special. He did a lot of soap opera work. He was actually nominated for an Emmy for creating The Wizard of Oz on Ice. Hmm. Uh, He also wrote and directed an independent feature named Under Hellgate Bridge. And that had a couple of Sopranos regulars, Dominic Cianisi, Vincent Pastore, and Frank Vincent. And this is so funny. He still gets recognized. For being the guy that... Yeah. That's yeah. pretty great. I love their, like, no, 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 that other stuff, whatever. The parachute. That's it. That's it. So he was talking... There was an interview with him in uh, 2011. 2011. And he says, I was in Trader Joe's on 6th Avenue about two weeks ago, and I'm pushing a shopping cart down the aisle when a young guy who's pushing his cart in the opposite direction looks up. He's got this you know, questioning and surprised look on his face. And he says, Mike Sergio. Wow. So I figure he's a crew guy who I must've hired on one project or another, you know, so he's thinking about, well, he's an actor. This is a guy I've worked with before. <clears throat> he says, yeah, that's me. The guy goes absolutely nuts. He's really happy to see him. And he says, <laughs> Mike Sergio from the 1986 world series. And this <laughs> blew Mike Sergio's mind. Cause his comment was, this guy's really happy to see me, but, he doesn't look like he was even born when I did the jump. Well, what happens is this guy in, in Trader Joe's holds up a magazine section that one of the dailies had just done about the Mets. Wow. And, and Sergio was floored. He, he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe this guy remembered him. And my last person is 2006. Last one. Um, and this is Mr. Jeb Corliss. So he tried to do a base jump off the Empire State Building while wearing a camera. The idea was he was going to land in the street, like the other base jumper off of the World Trade Center. Um, He was restrained by building security and arrested on the observation deck. So he didn't go. He didn't make it off the edge. He actually sued building security 
for emotional distress. Oh, man. So he was convicted of reckless endangerment. He lost his civil suit. And as a result, Corliss received three years probation and 100 hours of community service. And they actually asked Sergio about this in uh, in this interview from uh, 2011. Sergio thought it was a spectacularly stupid stunt due to the risk of stunned drivers in midtown right, Manhattan right. and pedestrians being distracted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also heard that he was uh, permanently banned from the Empire State Building. That's it. That is how this, this story ended. He, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Sergio was like, this is stupid. However, Corliss's sentence was actually overturned by a Manhattan State judge on the basis, ready? Corliss is experienced and careful enough to jump off a building without endangering his own life or anyone else's. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. And this statement, this statement was affirmed in January 2009 with some appeal. So, um, you know, he, he got his, his record cleared, but he was later permanently banned from the Empire State Building. So, I mean, as much as people love their daredevils and it's hilarious and fun when it works, sometimes it doesn't work. So, All right, I know you hate puns, but I do love the New York Post's uh, headline for him. The New York Post has the best headlines. What is it? Empire of the Shun for Daredevil. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I hate puns. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so thank you for sticking with us this far. We have one last, kind of one and a half last Daredevils along the human-insect line. Of course. We have the French Spider-Man or the human spider, Elaine Mm -hmm. Robert. Uh, He's a French rock climber and so-called urban climber. Mm-hmm. And An urban climber. He made that up. That's not a I've thing. I've seen it before, sadly. He's famous for using no climbing equipment except for a bag of chalk and a pair of climbing shoes to climb the New York Times building in Times Square. He didn't have any equipment? Nothing. Just himself. Oh, it's my a, God. It's a kind of climbing where you just don't use... You don't use anything. Besides, what's he gonna stick rope to? Like it's it's. Well, that whole building looks like a ladder. Exactly, exactly. So well, he didn't need it. Yeah. Wait, when was this? When was this? This was in two thousand and eight, uh, June fifth, two thousand and eight. So that's impressive, and that could be why Jeb Corliss failed. Is post nine eleven, you know, the era of daring do might be over. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So this is particularly impressive that he was able to do this as as far as he got. Yeah, I, I remember what this, I actually remember this day because I remember being in the news and being like, what? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, of course, um, he does this a lot. He has, he's famous, he's also scaled the National Bank of Abu Dhabi, uh, the Sydney Opera House, the Eiffel Tower, the Montparnasse Tower in Paris as well. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. He... Of course, uh, authorities don't give permission for this kind of thing. No. So he starts at dawn, and he... Oh, here's a really kind of gross side fact about him. Okay. He has become so used to cramming his fingers into the cracks of ledges that he's actually unable to completely straighten his fingers. Ew. Yeah. (laughs) So he starts at 6.30 in the morning. Uh Uh-huh. And he 
shimmies right up that building. Wow. It's, it's pretty amazing. So it takes him, they arrest him on the roof at 1222. Six hours. So it takes him about six hours to climb 52 stories. Uh, I mean, granted, this is a little harder than your guy climbing the World Trade just because he's not using, he's, he's just, just using his own strength. Yeah, yeah. When he gets to the top, he unfurls a banner with a slogan that says, Global warming kills more people than 9-11 every week. Oh, for God's so sake. So he uses it as a platform. He's doing it for political... I'm going to need to see a citation about that particularly provocative statement. I know, I know. The He actually chose the New York Times building because it's a green building and it makes more of a statement. Plus, it's a news media building, so they're going to give the story a prominent... So we'll get attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Here's the thing about that building. When they designed it with all those horizontal bars, I can't imagine that they thought it was a good idea. I Frankly, I'm I surprised know. it doesn't happen more, and I'm sure there's all kinds of barbed wire around the bottom now, but come on, you know? Yeah, so the charges they get pressed against him is reckless endangerment, uh, making graffiti, the banner... <laughs> okay. Uh, criminal trespassing and disorderly conduct, and everything is dropped except the disorderly conduct, mm. uh, which is a violation. It's just kind of like getting a parking ticket, so <laughs> like a slap on the wrist. There was a lot. There was. I remember like they shut the streets down. Uh-huh. There were people standing in the street. It was like a circus watching this guy, and then of course. Not days, not years, months, hours later, a man <laughs> named Ricardo, sorry, Ronaldo Clark does the exact same thing. I remember that, yes. Hours later. Yeah. And he is wearing a shirt, um, a anti-malaria shirt, and they're like, is this a statement? Yeah. And he was like, no. He just was <laughs> just wearing shirt. that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> he, he actually went to a psych ward. They were like, uh, we think something's about this guy. Uh-huh. So he gets all the same charges, excluding the graffiti thing, because he didn't unfurl a banner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I just, so, hours later. Hours. I remember hearing about that guy, and everyone was like, guy, come on. Yeah, you Someone can't Someone just did this. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. I wonder if he knew, like, oh, security is going to get impossible. If I'm going to do it, I got to do it now. Well, and they said, Ronaldo Clark, the difference is, is that he's not a professional climber, mm. whereas Elaine Robert is a professional climber and knows what he's doing. He's got chalk. He's wearing climbing shoes. He's a good climber. They kept saying that Ronaldo Clark, they're actually worried about him. Like, people were looking out the windows. Sure. And he would stop and look really tired. Oh, God. Uh, at some point he gets to like the 41st story or something and he looks in a window and like asks what floor he's on (laughs) and someone someone like lets him know it's the 41st and he kind of like smiles and nods his head and keeps going Uh, yeah that didn't seem quite as well planned as the first guy I love that. It was two in one day, though. That was so hilarious. I remember when so that So funny. I remember being listening to the news again later, mm-hmm. and they were talking about it, and I was like, no, this happened this morning. Yeah, they got this oh, guy wait. already. It's <laughs> happening again. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine the poor building security 
Like, finally, the first guy gets up and he's like, ha ha, you had your fun. Okay, you, you know, I, I was... I was crapping my pants for all morning, but you know, it's over and you, and then someone taps him on the shoulder and he's like, no. What's the, yeah, yeah. I love, maybe the building's like, all right, one guy, we understand. Uh-huh. Ha ha, very he funny. He does this, he's a professional climber. Yeah. The second guy, and then the building is like, yeah, you're fired. You're totally fired. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. That security guard's looking for work the next day. <laughs> yeah. Where do you, where did you last work? New York Times building? Yeah, no. Yeah, no, thanks for coming so. in to meet with us today. <laughs> if if the security guard of the New York Times building is listening, wow, we would love to hear your story. And uh, we want to know. Yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not going to apologize for making fun of you because that was that was a pretty big. Screw it up, seems like Ronaldo Clark just like walks right up to the building and gets going. Uh-huh. Like, he just like boom, he's gone. And then what do you do? Do you? You can't pull him down. That's it. Once he gets, like, above 10 feet, you don't want to mess with him. Let him do his thing. And, of course, there are many, many other, there, you know, I found a lot of Harry Houdini stuff. I found a lot of David Blaine stuff. I didn't, you know, David Blaine. They're daredevils. They're I would say Houdini is. But, but, yeah, I mean, they're they're like career people and, you know. I uh, Yeah, these are just people that get an idea in their head that they're going to do something. Mm-hmm. And they just do it. And off they and go. Yeah. They yeah. make our lives, I guess, a little more exciting for a few hours. It is. It is. It, it makes things amusing. But I don't want you to go away from this podcast thinking that we approve. No. Much like behavior. islands. If you listen to our islands episode, how we told you not to do and go to those places, we're telling you on this. Please don't go out and do some daredevil stunt. Please. We're, we're please not asking for that. Don't. I would hate for someone to go there i would especially hate for someone to go out and do something spectacular with news cameras around if you had like an abc gotham banner i would hate that i would hate that we would be most ambivalent about something like that (laughs) happening we are just bringing you we're just bringing you information we we do not approve of this Although we are amused by things I'm like amused. this. <clears throat> yes, yes, yes. And we want to thank the daredevils who have amused us in the past. I, I'm amused by the daredevil who gets permission. Yeah, yeah. That, to, to that if you think about it, is the most courageous thing of all. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's a good note to end this on. Yes, yes. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to like us on our Facebook page. Check out all of our pictures. We're going to have some pretty amazing pictures. For Lots this one. of good pictures. Pictures that will make you want to hide under your bed. It's it's amazing. And the video clip of Ben Dova. Oh, God. <sighs> yeah, I know. Um, I didn't name him, I, but it's really impressive stuff that he's doing. I highly recommend going to see that. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something you didn't know before. Yeah, and uh, tune in next time when we do the letter E. The letter E, yes. Stay tuned for that. Okay, see you later, folks. Bye, guys. I wish you could be here with me on this night in New York City. I wish you for more ABC Gotham, go to our website, abcgotham.podbean.com. Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. Music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved. I
standing here as Broadway opens up her arms when the crimson skyline bruises black and lights up like a favorite song. I wish you could be here with me on this night in New York City. I wish you could be here with me on this night in New York City. Yeah. 